Uh, good morning. It's great to be with you. My name is Jeremy. Uh, I am uh, called uh, the Assistant District Superintendent at the Alliance office. And so uh, you are, if you don't know, part of a denomination you know, known as the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. Now, sort of, we call ourselves the Alliance uh, Canada. And you uh, are a part of that family of churches, which is amazing. If you didn't know that, congratulations. You are part of that family of churches. Uh, and I have the privilege of working at the district office. And so I get to work by going and visiting a number of churches like this one and talking a little bit about kind of what's going on you know, in the season ahead and, and all those sorts of things. Now, you have to know this. I'm uh, friends uh, with, with Pastor Bob. So uh, as I'm sitting here this morning, he, like, he's texting me things, okay? It's like the dude's on a week off, but he's still texting me things. And so he's like, tell the people, like, there was 36 people that signed up to engage in giving last week after last, year, uh, last week's message, which is an amazing thing. Like, way to go as a church to engage in this stewardship uh, side of, of what looks like a ministry for you here. And that's a really important piece as we continue to journey through a ministry together. Uh, for 14 years, I was the, uh, well, it was a number of different uh, pastoral roles at Shore Park Alliance Church just east uh, of Edmonton. And so I served there doing lots of different roles at a church that in uh, many ways sort of looks like this one. Uh, big campuses, multiple campuses. We had a Christian school with 1,300 students in it, uh, three services in a room that looked like this. And for about a decade, I would preach at that church looking out on orange pews. And then we did a renovation, the pews went away, there was mixed feelings about that, and I come here and the Lord has given me again orange pews. <laughs> and so I feel very at home in a place like this, uh, even the shape of the room, the first time I walked in here, uh, there's a part of me that just feels so at home here uh, as, you know, we come to these environments. Uh, let me begin by telling you a story. Let me tell you about the first wedding I ever did, okay? Uh, I drove to the parking lot at Shore Park Alliance Church and I was nervous I was a young pastor, I was new, and I'm thinking, okay, I got to do this wedding. I hadn't done this before, so I thought, well, I should show up early. I should lean in, I should figure out, okay, what, what, you know, what, what am I going to say? All these different pieces. And then there was this idea, too, of like, I think I should pray for this couple. You know, that's probably a good thing to do as a young pastor. And so uh, I came in, as I often do, into a room that, again, looks very much like this. And, and I left the lights off, and I walked down this center aisle, and I got to about the second or third row, and I was startled because my step was met with a splash. It's not what you want to experience when there's a wedding in about three hours. So I ran to the back, I turned the lights on, and this whole lower area here was completely flooded. Water had been there. Yeah, water was coming in. And, and so I called a few uh, members of our staff team. We came in. We're trying to figure out what's going on. And what we discovered was right about down here, right about where you're sitting, there was a cap in the floor that in the olden days, they would run all the cables through there, right? So from the front to the back before we had all this wireless stuff. And so we removed that cap and realized that we had been getting a lot of rain, a lot of water was coming in. And we took that cap off and the water was shooting like six inches out of this alcove. So here I am in a full suit thinking, what are we going to do? So we began pulling the speakers out from under a stage just like this one. We tried jamming the shop back in there, uh, shooting the water kind of outside. Uh, that didn't do it. I thought, okay, what we'll do is we'll just plug this, right? So we found a sheet and we jammed it into that hole. That worked for a little while, but then the water started shooting out in all of the other places where those caps were. So now I've effectively flooded the whole joint. Everything's wet instead of just the beginning. So that didn't work as well. So three guys, right before the wedding, we did what men would do. We built a dam right there in the auditorium. We put some two-by-fours out, some sandbags. We put it there. And the first wedding I ever did had an indoor, unintentional water feature. 
It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I wish that's where the story ended, but it's not. I went and told the wedding party about all that was going on, what we're going to need to do, and we, we got them coming in a different entrance and, and taking their spots. I'm like trying to tell the bridesmaids, okay, you're going to kind of sign a stand around here because you know all those marks that we put last year? Yeah, or last night when we were doing the rehearsal? Yeah, those all floated away, right, in the flood. And so we get all up there, and all of it comes to the moment where I'm standing here, and the bride and the groom are here, my friends, and I look at them, and they look at me, and here I am as a very young sweaty, frazzled pastor about to do their wedding ceremony. As the bride looks at all of this, she becomes overwhelmed with emotion. And she turns to me and she says, do you have a Kleenex? And she is not miked at all. So nobody hears this question. But I am miked and everyone hears my response. As I look to my friend, the bride, and I said, I do. I said I do to the bride on her wedding day. It's a bad way to start, isn't it? Now, I had enough awareness to go, not, not I do, I do, but like I do, and I gave her the Kleenex, and away we went, okay? Listen, here's what I recognized at that wedding and the dozens and dozens that I've done since, is that when you have these pictures of the people that are gathered at your wedding, in this moment of time, it is this snapshot of the relationships that the Lord has entrusted to you. I mean, everybody's there that can possibly be there. Your bridal party of these people who will stand beside you as you make this covenant and you make these promises to one another. Your family that tends to sit in the closest rows, they're right there as they're supporting you in this moment. And then all these friends and family that gather there, it's the snapshot of all of the relationships that you have been given to steward. It's an amazing picture. And I think this is something that we have to realize is that God gives us many things to steward. And you've been talking about a lot of them uh, throughout this series. But one of the things the Lord has given you is relationships. So how are you going to be a good steward of those relationships? Now, there's many ways you could talk about this, but I want to talk about this this morning with you around the idea of how you're pointing people towards Christ, how you're being a positive influence for them in in their lives as they uh, walk this journey forward. And to do this, I want to look at the group of people that Jesus chooses to surround himself with when he was about to do all of his public ministry. He calls these disciples together, and I think in that calling, there's some helpful things that we can see here together. So, we're going to be in John chapter 1. If you'd like to follow around, along, there's also, I think, something going to be there on the screen for you. Now, as is my teaching style, we're going to read through this chunk of text together, make some comments about the context of what's going on in this part of the scriptures, and then we'll work our way back through it. So, hear the word of the Lord, John chapter 1, I'm starting in verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. 
Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked them, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so John's gospel is a little different than the other gospel stories that we have in our New Testament. The New Testament begins with four accounts of the life of Jesus. And so you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three function very similarly together. Uh, They have some similar formatting. They tell a lot of the similar stories. There's similar source material involved. This is what leads theologians to refer to these as the synoptic gospels. They sort of operate in a similar way. They're each distinct. They each are coming from different vantage points. But but there's a sort of similar format between the three of them. And then we have John's gospel, this one here. It looks a little different. It functions a little different. John's gospel is a fantastic place to begin reading about the life of Jesus. And so if you're new to the faith or it's been some time since, since you've investigated the scriptures for yourselves or you're just trying to figure out who is this Jesus that I hear so much about, John's, John's gospel is a beautiful place to start reading about this. Now, if you're paying attention to what we just read, you start to realize there's a, a few Johns that are being mentioned here. And, and this gets confusing at some point. Now, the John who ends up with the title as the author of this that we, we call John the Disciple Whom Jesus Loved, there's a couple different people that they, you know, that could be. Potentially, it's a guy named John who's son of Zebedee. It's potentially a guy named John uh, the Elder. But either way, it sort of ends up being the guy who writes this for us. His name is John, um, the one whom Jesus loved. It's a very humble sel- uh, thing to say about yourself. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, there's another John that's introduced right at the beginning, as I I read to you. That's John the Baptist. This is another John that's there. Later on, you realize that there's another guy who's a son of a John. This all gets, are you confused yet? This is very confusing. And can I just give you a little coach when you're reading the scriptures? When you read the scriptures and you come across a name that you think you realize, it's maybe not the same guy. It's maybe not the same person, and so you've got to take a little time to just figure that out. Uh, one example of this, we won't get into it in this message, but there's two Judas, two guys named Judas, that are disciples. Look, you want to make sure you're talking about the right one. You don't want to be misunderstood as that Judas, right? That's a message for another time. Uh, John's Gospel, it begins with all these interactions in chapter 1, which, which put on these sort of claims or names or titles of Jesus. There's about seven of them in the first chapter. John is uh, fixated on this number seven. It, it happens all throughout that gospel. And again, a message for another time. But what you see happen then from, from chapter one all the way till about chapter 12 is that as Jesus gathers these disciples together, which is what we've just read, they begin to go out and do ministry with Jesus. And Jesus continues to do miracles 
perform signs, and make claims about himself. And in all of these little actions that you see over, over 10 chapters worth of scripture, it leaves the people who are present with this, this lingering question, who is this man? Who is this guy? What would we say about him? And as you track through these chapters, what happens is each one of these claims, each one of these miracles, uh, they get a little more intense. And so what happens is, is that it forces people into uh, a little bit of controversy because they have to make a claim about Jesus. You can't interact with Jesus and just have no opinion on him. And this is revealed for us in those first kind of 12 chapters of the scripture. So that's kind of what's going on at this point in the story as we enter it here this morning. Now, I'm going to just give you the big idea right now already. Here it is. I believe you can trust Jesus with your relationships. This is the big idea. You can trust Jesus with your relationships. As you steward these relationships that you've been given, your friends and family, your co-workers, your classmates, these people that are, are uh, living their lives around yours, I believe that you can trust Jesus with these relationships. And to steward these relationships well, you must point people towards Jesus. This is what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. To steward the relationships well, you must point people towards Jesus. But you also need to have your own encounters with Jesus. And we're going to talk about that. And then last, you can trust to Jesus that when you bring these relationships to them, that he will meet these people you love in an authentic and meaningful way. So that's what we're going to talk about. Let's take it from the top as we kind of dig back through this text together. Uh, let's just look at these first couple verses. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. <laughs> is this not a beautiful picture of how we ought to steward the relationships in our lives? I'm convinced that at no other point in human history, certainly not at any point that we study and read about here in the scriptures, that we are fixated with this idea of building our own following, that we want likes and engagement and subscribers, and we're all trying to build our little own brands. And at any point in history, we've never had the ability to do this with the technology that's in front of us. And this is so refreshing because John doesn't miss the point. He didn't miss the plot. He goes, yeah, I've got these two guys, they're my followers, but you know what? We're actually here to follow Jesus, so go follow him. And then they do. <laughs> Imagine that. Taking your own followers, the people that are invested in your circle, your relationships, and pointing them towards Jesus, and they be, suddenly become more interested in Jesus than they become interested in you. Hmm. It's very countercultural to the world that we live in. But John gets it. He's not obsessed with building his own empire, his own platform. He's going to give his own fame away for the good of the ministry, for the good of his followers. John was not confused on his role. Uh, I did ministry uh, all over the world as part of what I got to do in my last uh, uh, posting. And one of the most transformational experiences I had was, was a season of ministry I did in Burundi, Africa. If you know the story of Rwanda, you know the story of Burundi. And so I would travel kind of back and forth. At one point, we were sending three teams a year, and, and we had this incredible partnership where God just took these two places on the planet, almost on the opposite side from each other, and just connected them in beautiful ways. It transformed my life, and we as a church were transformed by it, but we also got to see a community transformed. 
And this is about an eight-year process. And about three years in, something like that, it became clear that as far as it goes from Canada, I was going to be responsible for this relationship. I mean, we were, we were terracing fields. We were bringing clean water. Like, there was a lot to this thing. And so we had made the decision on our end. But we knew with our friends in Burundi that, that this was an important thing, so we ought to show up there uh, and be able to kind of talk to them about this. Here's how it ties to this story about, about followers. I was there uh, in my little uh, humble room, and you take about two hours to drive to the community, and I was woken up by a knock at the door, and there was two guys there at the door, and they were stood there smiling when I opened the door, and they were wearing T-shirts with my name on it. It's a very strange experience. Not, oh, your mom wrote it on your, you know, on your jacket so you don't lose it. No, 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 we're talking Pastor Jeremy. White shirts, light blue writing. I'll never forget it. And it said some other stuff, but basically it was their way of saying, like, you're responsible for us and we're responsible to follow you. It's a very bizarre experience to happen. So they give me a shirt now with my own name on it and said, put this on. It was too small. I remember that detail. And I got into this truck. We went for a couple hours and I kept asking them, where are we going? What are we doing? And they said, oh, we're having a ceremony now because you are going to be the one who, who's going to be responsible to us. And I was like, we're doing what? Because I didn't have any speech prepared or, or, or any moment. And I remember we get out of the trucks, we, we kind of crest the hill, and I stood, and I just stopped walking as there's hundreds of people who have gathered. The community was there. There was people who had walked hours to come to this, wearing shirts with my name on it. It was a terrifying experience. And then they gave me some, some traditional garb to wear, so I was wearing this thing, and then at one point, some guy hands me a spear, like, you cannot make this stuff up. And so I'm sitting in the, in the, in the front row, and all this stuff is going on, and there's translation, and they're trying to keep me connected. And I finally looked at my friend Joseph, who was the translator, and I looked at Joseph, and I said, Joseph, I don't have anything prepared. I don't have anything to say. So I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to make some stuff up. And I give you full permission to change it <laughs> in translation. Make it sound awesome. Cheer the people on. Don't let me offend anybody. And he just smiled and looked at me and said, oh, pastor, I can't do that. <laughs> I was so aware in that moment that I had all these people that were wanting to follow me. And I was also so aware that I had nothing to give them. I was so aware of the fact that the greatest thing I could do in that moment was point them towards Jesus. What am I going to do in this community from the other side of the world? Yeah, I send teams. Yeah, I send money. Yeah, I learn from them. I love to be there with them, and we celebrated and partied together. But at the end of the day, you must follow Jesus, not me. Get rid of the shirts, you know? Now listen, I think in that circumstance, I, I did it okay. I think I might have got that one right. But here's what you just need to know. I don't always get it right. And I'm a third-generation pastor, a lot of pastor friends. I work in a lot of churches. I work with all sorts of churches. Pastors don't always get this right. And we have these moments where we get, we get confused and we make it more about creating our own following than about being someone to realize what our job is, which is to point people towards Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Not make it about me or about a platform or any name of a church. It's all about Jesus. And the moment that that gets muddy for you, problems ensue. My friends, this is true in your own relationships. That at the end of the day, for you to love people well, to steward the relationships well, is to point them towards 
Christ. Don't get confused. And John does this beautiful picture of how he's going to do it. Okay, I need to keep going. We're going to pick it up here, verse 38. I want to show you something else. Jesus looked around and saw saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says this beautiful phrase, come and see. We're going to come back to this again, but just remember this little phrase, come and see. So it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They went with him to the place where he was staying, and they re- uh, remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Okay, so he's one of those two guys that John points to him. He goes and finds Jesus. And then it says, Andrew went to find his brother, Simon, and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So that's interesting. We're going to come back to this idea. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking uh, intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. That little note there is to help us know they probably knew each other at this point in history. This is kind of how this works, so they probably knew each other. And then Philip went to look for Nathaniel. told them, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Jesus makes this beautiful invitation to come and see. Come and see. And that's how it begins for all of us. At some point, we we come to this moment where we have our own interaction with Jesus. But there's something that's very interesting that we need to pay attention to here because it happens not only once, it happens twice. Andrew encounters Jesus, and then what does he do? He goes and gets Peter, his brother. Hmm. Philip encounters Jesus. What does he do? He goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. And so this is something we ought to pay attention to because it seems like there's something that happens in that interaction that is so powerful, is so magnificent, it moves these guys in such a significant way that they can't help but go and tell somebody else about it. So here's a little gut check for you as it was for me this week. Are my interactions with Jesus so moving that I can't help but tell the people I love about it? Well, I'll talk football with people. I'll talk hockey with people. I'm from Edmonton. I'm an Edmonton Oilers fan. My my friend's the chaplain for the Oilers. When they were losing very badly, he was the worst chaplain in the world. Now they're winning. Yesterday I told them, you are a very good chaplain. (laughs) We'll talk about all kinds of stuff. But you know this to be true. The things that you're passionate about, the things that impact you deeply, when you, when you hear a beautiful piece of music, when you watch a beautiful film or read, read an incredible book, you can't help but tell other people about it. My friends at Circle, have you lost this part of your walk with Jesus? Are your times in the scriptures where the Holy Spirit illuminates the text and it meets you directly in that spot, is that so moving for you that you can't help but go and tell somebody else about it? This is the fuel for how you share your faith. It starts with your own interaction with the scriptures. It starts with your own ability to allow Jesus to meet you in an authentic way, to transform your life, and then you can't help but go and tell other people about it. So something you ought to consider this week is that where are you at in your own journey? This is a little aside, but I always tell people, The greatest thing that you can do, the greatest gift you can give your family, your friends, those you love, is to be having a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Because as the Holy Spirit works in your heart and forms you and shapes you, and who convicts of sin? The Holy Spirit does. And as all of this is being worked out in your life, you become a better husband. You become a better father. You become a better co-worker. You become a better employee. All of these things happen because of this authentic relationship that you have with Jesus. If you don't have it, why does anyone want to follow what you don't have? This is the question we must continue to wrestle down. And people like me who've grown up in the church, I'm in the institution, okay, I I work with churches all the time. Uh, I'm a third generation Alliance Church pastor. Listen, you can forget. That's why the song says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Because sometimes we forget it. We lose it. And then we try to invite someone to, (laughs) to be a part of something that we ourselves don't have. And it's not very compelling, I'll tell you that. So this is something that we must work through in our own lives. Now, it's interesting in that both in Andrew and Philip, as they make this uh, kind of appeal to their friends to come and follow Jesus, they do so in a way that they think their friends are going to understand. And so that's part of the language that you see there. They're trying, to, they're trying to entice them in a compelling way. And here's a real encouragement from this text for us. What happens, right? Uh, <laughs> Philip makes the invitation. He goes, hey, we found this guy from Nazareth. And then the response is, Nazareth. You all understand this. You're from Saskatoon. I came from Regina. You're like, nothing good comes from there. As the people say, amen. Uh. Here's what's so encouraging about us who want to love our relationships well in 2024. If you actually get up the courage to steward your relationships well, to come from a deep place of the Lord's work in your life, and you actually are going to point someone towards Jesus, you will get pushback. You're just being naive if you don't think that to be true. There is a lot of reasons why people are not here, okay? Lots of reasons. you got lots of reasons. And what you need to know is that as you present the gospel, even as, as helpful and as hopeful as you try and make it, there will be those that will push back on it. They'll lean in and go, look, man, here's all my experiences. Here's all my pieces. And here's what happens, and I think we were at a boiling point. I think, it's, I think we're over it a little bit, but here's what happens. The response that Philip gives is so good for us because when we've experienced these things and you, and you look at social media and you look at kind of rage culture and, and you look at some stuff particularly that comes out of the States, although we have our own versions of it, we, we have this temptation then to power up, right? Wow, what do you know? Oh, just you wait. At the end, at the end, you'll find out who's right. I'm sorry, is that the posture we want to take as people are being led to destruction? That we were right? You do not love anybody if your whole conviction is about being right and not having people being right with Jesus. This is, we've twisted so many of these pieces. And so my friends, the the perfect example that we get here from Philip is he does. What does he say? He goes, uh, Come and see. Come and see for yourself. He uses the same words that Jesus uses earlier. He doesn't power up. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't try to, like, argue anyone into the kingdom. And I've been doing ministry a long time. I haven't met many of those people. He just goes, come and see. Circle, imagine what this looks like for you if these halls and these classrooms are filled with come-and-see people, where your kids and teenagers run around here just simply because somebody said, well, come and see. Come and see. What's Jesus like? Come and see. 
What's your church like? Come and see. That's it. That's, that's our part, is to just extend it to people. Imagine circle groups that you're in, these, these life groups, these small group environments, and there's people that are sitting in there that are all broken and, and are hurting, and they're there because somebody just said to them, come and see. And you know what they'll find? A circle of people from circle who are also broken. This, this is the church. Like, this is us. We're broken people trying to walk and follow Jesus, and we don't get it right even most of the time. <laughs> but imagine what this church looks like if it was filled with people who were just come and see people. That every weekend, as you gathered like this, that in every row there was somebody who was just here to come and see. I'm telling you right now, it transforms your ministry. And as far as I understand the history of this church, that's what you've wanted to do. You don't always get it right. I served in a church that had that same approach, and we didn't always get it right either. But I'm telling you, come and see people transform everything because it helps you not lose the plot. It helps you remember why you're here. This is the invitation you must make. It'll change everything for this church. It'll change everything for you because we trust that something amazing will happen. And this is why I say that ultimately the main point of this is that you can trust Jesus with your relationships because if we do that, if we have the come and see invitation, look what happens, right? We pick the story back up in 47. As they approach Jesus, he said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I'd seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. There is a lot of writing, a lot of words on a lot of pages that someone like me reads, uh, commentators of the scriptures that are trying to explain to us the intricacies of the fig tree. It is a little boring, I must be honest. It's not the most glamorous part of the job. And if you go back and you read all these scholars and you look at all this, they're going to talk about how it kind of connects to different stories of the Old Testament, maybe Joseph's story, maybe the history of Israel and, and all these things. And then I love this other guy that I read. He, he just, like, academic, he just goes, maybe it was just a fig tree. <laughs> like, maybe he was just under a fig tree. The plain reading of Scripture, okay? I think if we get too... Uh, cute on trying to describe what the fig tree means, we miss the point. Here's the point, as far as I can see it. Nathaniel's doubting. He's doubting. He doesn't have this all figured out. He's done his pushback with his friend, but the come and see invitation brings him to Jesus, and then what does Jesus do so beautifully? He has the exact right encounter with Nathaniel that he needs. You read any kind of apologetics textbook, they're not going to say, go up to someone and say, I saw you under the fig tree. It's not there. It doesn't exist. That book doesn't exist. I might write it, then you can say there's one. But it doesn't exist because that doesn't make any sense in any other context than it did for Nathaniel in that moment from Jesus, right? This is why we trust our relationships to Jesus because at the end of the day, nothing short of an authentic encounter with him will make difference in people's lives. This is why we trust our relationships to him. And my friends, I understand you're, you're going to be sitting here probably and there's some of you going, look, I've been praying for someone for decades. 
I've been pointing them to Jesus for a very long time. And it hasn't seemed like this has materialized yet in the way I would have hoped. Could it be because Jesus has an exact time, an exact moment, an exact right way to meet us in our stories? If you love the people around you, you will trust Jesus' timing on that point. I worked with a lot of students for a lot of years. Again, we had a, a, you know, 1,300 students in our building, you know, five days a week. Here's what I'm convinced of. You cannot live somebody else's faith. Edward, you shared powerfully in your testimony about your grandmother and, and her, her faith and planting this seed, and that is the exact right way. That's what we should do. We should help plant the seed. We should encourage that. We should put that forward. But listen, I'm telling you right now, that seed will not grow without an authentic encounter with Jesus. You're the one who still has to get in the tank. Grandma can't do it on your behalf. Parents, grandparents, this is what we long for. This is what we pray for. This is what we hope for, is that we're going to point them to Jesus. We're going to do it out of a deep place of Jesus' relationship with us. But at the end of the day, we hope and trust that the Lord will meet them in the right way, in the right time, in the right circumstance, so that what happens is it becomes authentic for them. And then Nathaniel professes his faith because Jesus saw him under a fig tree. I brought my son with me uh, here, which is fun because it's not super far of a drive. This is what I pray for him. He's watched me preach a lot of times. He comes and visits churches like you all the time. But at the end of the day, I pray, as I did during our worship this morning, that he would have an authentic encounter with Jesus that is only his. Because my faith will not just automatically be imparted to him. My friends, this is why we pray. This is why we lift up those we love. This is why we hope deeply that we can have our own interactions with Jesus because at the end of the day, do you trust him? Do you trust him to meet the people you love in just the right way at just the right time? They have to have it. They have to have it for themselves. Let me close this way. Baptisms and, and these sorts of expressions of the come and see people, they are absolute rocket fuel for your church because <laughs> they help you keep the main thing the main thing. Look, I'll just be very candid with you. I show up at a different church every week and they all got problems. You got some. But so does everyone else. And the reality is that sometimes we can get so caught up in all of this stuff that we forget what we're supposed to be about. We forget why we're here. Look, I, I understand what it takes to run a place like this because I did it for 14 years. At the end of the day, you can get so fixated on the color of the pews or whether the HVAC's working or how many staff do we have now or was like whatever instrument in tune. I just made that part up because I don't know anything about that. But you can get so fixated on these other things instead of going, where are the come and see people that are just here to find out about Jesus? And how does all the stuff that's going on, how do, I just, how do I just show up and serve in a kids' ministry room? Because I guarantee you right now, if you step out and say, you know, I'm going to volunteer in kids' ministry, and you sit there as, as young, our children, they start to get a sense of who Jesus is in their lives, it, it grows your faith. It grows your faith. When you spend time with teens and they ask really good questions and then you don't ever know the answers and you have to go and look them up, I live that life, okay? It grows your faith. It grows your faith. When you come in a moment like this and you worship together and you hear people get into the tank and publicly profess what's happened in their life because of knowing Jesus, it grows your faith. You continually have this experience, your church will be okay. 
If you don't, you become irrelevant and die. I've been to those churches too. So, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, will you trust the relationships that you have to Jesus? Will you seek in your own life to have deep moments of walking with Christ that will give you courage, that will give you uh, this encouragement to share it with your friends? And then, after you invite to come and see people, you hold them out, you pray for them, and you ask that King Jesus meets them in the exact right way, in the exact right time that will be meaningful for them. I am convinced that Jesus loves the people in your life more than you love them. That he longs to be in right relationship with them. And so, you can trust your relationships to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this church. For the generations of men and women who have sat in this room, who have sat in other rooms attached to this church previously and who gave of themselves, who sacrificed for this place. And God, we confess that these moments where we, we want things our way, we want a certain style of music, we, we want certain atmosphere, we, we want things the way we want them. And Jesus, when that's because it will make us uh, effective to reaching those we love, then, then I think that's a good thing. But God, forgive us for so many ways, for so many ways that I make this more about me than about them. Jesus, I pray even right now that by the Spirit of the living God, you would be bringing to the people's minds who are sitting here, who are watching online, would you bring faces right now? People that, that you're working on, Lord, and would you give this room of people, those who are watching at home, would you give them great courage, great courage, to turn to the scriptures for themselves and to invite those people, those faces they see, those names they hear, to come and see. To come and see. And Jesus, we trust all of these people to you because they're yours. And so would you love them and hold them close, we pray. Thank you, Christ, for all you have done for us. It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.